Vernomatic Productions. Are you ready? Live from the Metal Mayhem Studios in Rochester, New York. We are gold. And heard around the world by metalheads just like you. This is Metal Mayhem ROC. Heavy metal music. Your weekly dose of metal music, interviews, album reviews, news, and more. Want to be part of the show? Send us a message through our website, MetalMayhemROC.com. Or hit us up on Facebook and Twitter. Search Metal Mayhem ROC. It's getting nice and heavy. And now, welcome tonight's host, John the Vernomatic Verno. Good evening, everybody. Third week of Rocktober. It's Saturday night, and we got a special edition tonight. We're uh, checking in with Metal Walt. He'll be here in just a second. He had a few uh, shows this week. He saw Maiden last night. He saw Satriani. So he's going to give us his reviews of those shows. But tonight's interview, I met up with Chris Gustafson, drummer of the band Trauma. Now, Trauma's best known as the band that Cliff Burton came over from when he joined Metallica, but they they have more of a history than that. They have a new album that just came out at the end of the summer, so I have him on here. We talk about that, and he gives us a history of the band. But let me get uh, Metal Walt in here. Walt, how you doing, man? What's going on? I'm great, Vern. It's a Saturday night. I'm uh, off a couple more shows this week and uh, looking forward to the rest of Rocktober, as we say. <laughs> so uh, you're on a binge, bro. I'm gonna send you to, you know, fucking rock and roll rehab. That's what you, you're gonna go to. So you saw me. You saw Maiden last night. I saw him about a week ago. Gave our little review. What's your take on the show, man? So uh, Maiden was great. I mean, number one, it's a Friday night in New Jersey, the tri-state area. Granted, they did a show in Long Island on Wednesday, but you know, Friday night. I mean, it, it's a packed house. And when I tell you this, Bruce commented last night that this was a 100% sold-out show. And when I say that, I mean it. You couldn't get a single ticket yesterday afternoon at 5 o'clock on Ticketmaster. StubHub was up in the range of 150 or more. It was just jammed. And that's a testament to the tri-state area. Um, Bruce was down there in the front, and he said, you know what? We played Jersey 20, 30, 40 times in our career he goes, look at this place. He goes, and this is not just people from New Jersey and New York. And he was going around the room, flags from Argentina and Mexico and Croatia and down the line, Canada. You know, this is what that aura of Maiden really is a global band. And living in this area of the country, you have a very diverse population. But with that said, it had all the energy for a big, uh, a big night. You know, as I'm walking in from uh, my park in the car on the street, I pass the Irish pub nearby. Man, it's just nothing but people jammed outside, drinking pints, you know, with their maiden shirts on, the place cranking the tunes. But, you know, getting to the show itself, man, I mean, they just deliver. But I will tell you, even starting off, I I, I didn't intend to get there early, but I did. And I got in there to see Within Temptation, the Dutch band. And I tell you, you know what? I know that uh, whole uh, symphonic rock with a female-fronted artist is really popular in Europe. But these guys were really, really good. And, And Sharon Van Adel, I think her name is. Really, what a range on her. I would say, you know, check out some of the material. Yeah, it's not straight metal. Got a little bit of the keyboardy stuff in there. But, man, they picked a good artist to support. Um, you know, Maiden comes in. I think everybody knows about the set list, the stage show, the antics with Bruce. But every time is just better than the next, man. The, the, the Japanese Shenjitsu stage set. And then you have, uh, you know, Flight of Icarus with the big eagle behind you. And, and, of course, at the end, the ace is high plane. 
And just, uh, you know, I love the, the Blaze Bailey era, and I absolutely appreciate that they pull out the Klansmen and the Sign of the Cross from time to time. I think those are two really, really great songs. Um, the band has held up in their 60s. I think Nico McBrain is now 70. But you know what? It's amazing. They get out there to do 16 songs. They change the set list every tour. You know, somebody's going to be really, really happy, and somebody's going to be really, really disappointed at some of the songs they don't play. But the one thing you know for sure with Maiden is you get a fresh show every time you see them. So I was happy I went, and that concluded my run of shows. Um, you know, I, I, uh, last uh, Saturday, I think I checked in with you guys on the last podcast. I was up in Albany to see Priest in Queens, right? Yep. Monday was a kind of a lull in my night, and Joe Satriani, a favorite of mine, uh, was playing at a small place called the, uh, the Count Basie Theater in Red Bank. The infamous Count Basie, uh, the orchestrator from uh, the 30s and 40s, this is the town he grew up in. And, and I've been a big advocate, as well as our co-host, of Ian O'Rourke. He's a guitar player. I'm not. I just always appreciated Satch for the construction of the songs, the melody, the way the songs are sung through the guitar. And uh, it's been a few years since I've seen him. But what was cool about this one, it was an evening with show. And he's actually put out two albums during the pandemic. He didn't get a chance to tour them. So half the show was really uh, loaded on songs from both of the last albums, Shape- Shapeshifting and The Elephant of Mars. And then, of course, other material, uh, you know, come in there. But at the end of the day, you got a, a two and a half hour show, 26, 27 songs. Um, the, the great part of it is he has Kenny Aronoff, who's played with a lot of bands, uh, probably most popular for his cameo in the John Cougar, Jack and Diane video. Yeah. Um, but this guy's a fucking beast. He's small. He's about five foot six, bald. He's jacked up. He's in shape. And he hits the drums on every song at a level of 12 on a scale of one to 10. It's unbelievable a guy this age could do it. So to be able to sit back on a Monday in a chilled crowd in a half empty theater and see Satch, which was just just as good as seeing Priest and then follow up at the end of the week with Maiden. It's been a killer Rocktober, like you said. And I still got a couple more to come. Let's see if I hit these other ones towards the end of the month. But uh, yeah, really, really good week. So that's my recap. Couple of quick questions. Um, how, what was the cap on the room that at the Count Basie Bar? What is Count Basie Bar? Count Basie, it's a Count Basie Theater. It's probably about fifteen hundred, maybe two thousand seats. Okay, and uh, how much of the material were you familiar with, and was it easily digestible if you didn't know it? Uh, again, you have to have an open mind, and I, I do. I have every one of Satch's albums in the catalog. Again, you forget certain songs. There are maybe seven to ten songs that, let's call them his popular songs or his hits. Those are the ones going back to Surfing with the Alien and Flying in a Blue Dream. But again, what I like about Satch is the flow of the show changes. And for fans going to see the, the show, you're going to get rockers. You're going to get jazz fusion artists. You're going to get these quirky, experimental, dark sort of uh, – you know, uh, you know, weird progressive type songs, but the instrumentation he always brings out there with him. The keyboardists and the uh, the drummer were they're top notch guys. These are prog guys that are you know skilled at their instruments. So you know you're going to get a good show. It's kind of like seeing one of those jam bands where you know you're not going to hear the song the exact same way you hear it on the album. And and if you're open minded and you just sit back and relax and listen to it, I think you're going to have a really good time. Cool, cool. Um, thanks for sharing that. We here at Metal Mayhem, we're always trying to, you know, create new content and advance the brand. Tell the listeners about this new project that we're putting together that's going to be debuting in a few weeks. That 
you and Ian O'Rourke are going to really headline, and I'll and I'll pop in once and again. Uh, what's the series? And tell us about it. Yeah. So for the listeners, um, we put our thinking caps on, and uh, you know, it's driven by a lot of times on our history series. We say, you know what? We really need to be reeducate ourselves on this material because years and decades come by, go by, and you kind of forget about the material. So what we decided to do is do a play on words around the school. So we have a new series coming out called Rock and Roll Detention. And I love it because, you know what, it's it's an education, but it's going to be a deep dive on a particular artist or a particular theme. Um, and the idea is that we're going to just take a, a topic or a band or an artist and we're going to break it down into the weeds, which is something we cannot do. Um, when we do the history of heavy metal series, because we're limited with time and we have to cover our broad based, uh, highlights of that year in totality. So we have a couple of ideas, um, for you, the listeners, please hit Verno up on the website or wherever you give him feedback and tell us any bands or particular eras or maybe musicians that you'd like us to break down and go back to school and dissect. We're doing heavy metal biology but we're not going to be the good boys. We're going to be in detention because that's what heavy metal is all about, being yeah. a rebel. Stay tuned for more as it comes. Again, that show, uh, it's called Rock and Roll Detention. And as soon as we get our schedules together, the debut episode will be debuting in the next couple of weeks. All right, well, well I'm going to let you get going. Enjoy your family. Enjoy the rest of the weekend. Thanks for the update, and we'll talk to you soon, bud. Rock on, guys. Okay, that's our boy, Metal Walt. Isn't he a character? Well, okay, so let's get into tonight's interview. Again, uh, Trauma, Chris Gustafson, drummer of the band. Want to just remind you to get to the website, sign up for the newsletter, and now that we have all these new shows, hey, you never know. You may be invited. You could win a contest and maybe possibly be on one of these shows with us. All right. Trauma interview coming up right after this. I'm the Vernomatic. This is Metal Mayhem ROC. Attention, metalheads. Since we launched in 2019, Metal Mayhem ROC has been the go to source for metalheads to talk about and hear the music they love. We can't thank you enough for being part of the family. If you're listening on Apple Podcast, hit subscribe so you know when we go live. Plus, tell folks why you like to listen when you leave a rating and review. If you're listening on another platform, head over to podchaser.com and type in Metal Mayhem ROC in the search bar. Hit subscribe, then rate the show and leave a comment on why you get your metal fix from the Vernomatic and his guests, Metal Mayhem ROC. Now, back to the show. So continuing our efforts to bring you the history of heavy metal, we have Chris Gustafson, the drummer of Bay Area Thrash Vets Trauma. Now, Trauma, they're a hell of a lot more than just the uh, original band that Cliff Burton of Metallica came from. They were there at the beginning, uh, that San Francisco Bay Area scene, and they have a brand new album just came out in August on Massacre Records called Awakening. Let's welcome to Metal Mayhem ROC, Chris Gustafson. Hey, Chris, how are you, man? Oh, I'm doing good. How about yourself? We're doing fine. It's uh, fall up here in the Northeast. Metal's everywhere. And uh, like I said, we're just trying to spread the word of the history of metal today. So no better way than to uh, get to the roots. Thank you for uh, having me on. I appreciate it. 
I'm not even going to lie, not that familiar with the current band. I was a fan back in the day, all the way back to the Metal Massacre 2 release. You made an appearance there. But there was a lot of inactivity. Why don't you get our listeners quickly up to speed on the history of your involvement with the band and where we're at in 2022? Oh, wow. Okay, well, obviously, you know, this goes back a number of years. Um, I met Donnie Hillier in the early 80s, and I joined the band in the early 80s. And shortly after I joined the band, the band was gigging quite a bit in the Bay Area, uh, playing, you know, at the Stone, uh, Keystone Berkeley, the old Waldorf, uh, many, you know, whatever clubs were at that time, there was, there was, a, you know, a whole different scene going on in the eighties. Then, and, um, I joined the band and shortly after I joined the band, we started having, uh, Mike Varney from Shrapnel Records interested in the band. He, he started coming to a lot of our shows and listening to the band and he came to some rehearsals and, uh, lo and behold, we were offered a contract with him and we signed it and we went in and recorded the Scratch and Scream album. Um, and, uh, Maybe about a year after we recorded, yeah, maybe not even a year. I for, I kind of forget because it's a long time ago. <laughs> sure. But after the record came out, we continued playing a lot of um, local shows and whatnot. Um, but the thing was, back in those days, uh, that was like at the beginning of the hair metal bands, and all the major labels and, and people like that in the business. Uh, they didn't know what to really do with with super heavy music, you know, especially you know thrash metal or heavy metal. Um, they didn't, you know, because it was really it was it was becoming popular in Europe because um, of you know Sabbath and all those kind of bands. But in the states, it was kind of weird. There was certain pockets of it and stuff. But when you approached a major label with a heavy metal band, they you know nine times out of ten they would say oh we really like this music you know great musicianship and everything but it was kind of like we don't know what to do with this so it was kind of it was kind of a strange time for that and it, you know it kind of pissed some of us off but anyways um, everybody just kind of you know went on their way uh, the band just kind of dis- disbanded um, unfortunately I wish that didn't happen but it did. And uh, there was a lot of time in between um, after the band disbanded. Um, I mean, it was kind of weird because the band actually did play some gigs um, like months after the album got released uh, to pretty large crowds, actually. But it, it just there was just no tour support or any direction of the band. Um, and everybody just kind of got... Uh, I don't know. I wouldn't say depressed or anything like that, but there was just no direction of what to do. So we just disbanded and everybody went on their way, like I said. And uh, I was always in touch with Donnie Hillier. Uh, He was a real good friend of mine, like I said. And uh, we got an offer. uh, I would say an offer, but Mike Varney wanted to do a re-release of the Scratch and Scream album in 2013. And he, he, he said to me, it might be a good idea for you guys to put a band together just in case you get some offers to go play. And uh, that is what we did. 
And uh, so that kind of leads us to now where we're at. We've had a lot of different people in and in and out of this band because the original lineup um, that recorded on the Scratch and Scream record um, <clears throat> had different commitments and they were busy doing other things and really couldn't commit to this because it was going to take a lot of time to try to get this off the ground. And uh, so we've had a lot of different people in and out of it. And right now we have a really good lineup, uh, probably, you know, really good lineup. So that kind of brings us to 2022. Yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to bombard you with the the quick on the spot bio, but it is a fast it is a fascinating story of things were exploding and the scene in San Francisco in 81, yeah. 82, 83, you know, you had the Exodus guys, you had um, you know, the Metallica guys went up there. Slayer was there around. Uh, High Rax was up there. It's all right. it's all legendary. Ruthie's in and um, the- yeah, it was like uh, you had the Stone, uh, the Keystone Berkeley. We we played many gigs with uh, Exodus and Slayer at, yeah. at the Keystone Berkeley and the Stone, and then you had the old Waldorf. Yep, that was that was owned by Bill Graham. Then you had Ruthie's in over in Berkeley. That was another place. Then you had uh, – there was a Keystone Palo Alto down on the peninsula that you could play at. Then you had, like, uh, there was a place called the Cabaret uh, that was on the peninsula, too, a huge, huge place. And there was a place in Marin County called New Georgia's that was really cool. I mean, there was a, there was just a multitude of, of really large clubs. Oh, there was a scene. Credit it to bad timing or your number didn't get pulled, but, you know, that Metal Massacre, too that you're on armored saint was on there. They went on to have, you know, a consistent career, uh, savage grace obsession. I'm wondering why didn't trauma get that? Like we just mentioned, the bands were there. The scene was there. Is it just, I mean, the dedication was there again. I got to ask you, Chris, what, what happened? You know, I, you know, looking, thinking back all those years, man, it was just one of these things where we just, you know, we just kept playing the same rooms over and over and over again. And, you know, we, we would, uh, I, I guess at that time we were trying to think outside the box, maybe a little too much of, of maybe bigger and better things, but nobody really knew how to pursue doing that. Mm-hmm. At the time. Um, and you know realistically what you, what we started competing against was you know the hair metal bands to a certain degree because what was happening is all the record labels and i'm sure you know metallica or any of these bands could tell you the same story because they ended up uh going to new york after they signed with megaforce off their you know their first album and uh shortly after that they they just like boarded a plane and, and flew directly over to Europe and stayed there for, you know, quite a long period of time. And they, they didn't bother with the United States. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, and, and I, you know, I wish we would have done that ourselves, but when you start hearing all these bands that are doing, you know, the, the hair metal stuff and they're getting these freaking you know, uh, multi, you know, hundred, hundred thousand <laughs> contracts and everything, 
and you can't even get arrested and you, and you know you're you, you know you could blow these guys off the stage it's like what's wrong with this you know what's wrong with this you know wow and it, you know because the, you know going out on any kind of touring you know it costs money to do that regardless if the you know the the facade is the label's going to pay for it well not really because you get the artist gets billed for it down the road anyways to make a long story short we just didn't have any direction to tell you the truth. I mean, that's the biggest problem. Varney, at that time, it was a brand new label for him. And, uh, you know, he was just trying to scoop up and sign as many, you know, artists as he could and bring them into Prairie Sun Studio in Katati and record them. And, you know, hats off to the guy. Uh, but it wasn't, a, it wasn't a situation where we, where, you know, we could have gotten offered any kind of tours or anything so we just, I don't know, threw the towel in a little too pre- prematurely, you know. Now, you joined the band in 82, so you, you were never in the band when Cliff Burton was in the band. And realistically, Cliff really wasn't there that long, maybe no. maybe a year. So it really mm-hmm. wasn't the fact that the band didn't survive because Cliff left. Um, that wasn't it. No. So the lineup that did the scratch and scream, that was all post-Cliff's um, involvement. Correct. The uh, original drummer and Cliff left, and then me and a good friend of mine, Lucas at, at Vincula, came in. And like I said, after we got in the band, shortly after that, we is when we recorded that album. Cliff Cliff was a huge supporter of the band. I mean, he would come to our gigs and stuff, and just hang out with us and everything. And he, he was always joking around. Really, really super nice guy. All right. So the history of trauma, we just covered that. Yeah. Let's get up to 2013, the reunion, the new era of trauma. You guys have been consistently releasing new material since that reunion. Tell us a little bit about Raptured and Wrath, the first full length since the reunion. How did that come about? Um, That was with uh, a good friend of mine, Kurt Fry, on guitars, me, Donnie Kurt Fry, and a, a bass player, Marcel, Um we had that together. Uh, I'm trying to remember, man. We started probably that album came out, I think, in 2015. I think so. If, all, all those tunes were probably written, maybe I don't know, towards the end of 2014. And we we're kind of me and Donnie were kind of on the fence with it because you know we knew what the band sounded like from all those years ago. And now we're doing something with with one guitar that we weren't 100% thrilled with. I I think I think overall Kurt did a, a, a really good job on it, but we had to get our legs. You know, we just had to get some skin back in the game as much as possible. But we didn't really know um, what direction should it be. You know, I don't know. We had to kind of test the waters. It, Personally speaking, that album's not one of my favorites. Okay. Because uh, I wanted it to be a lot heavier. Uh, there's a lot of hard rock influence in that album that I didn't really want to do, but it is what it is. Uh, we got a lot of really good reviews off of it and everything. So I guess for the most part, it was pretty positive. What's your uh, temperature on the 2018 as the world dies? Well, yeah, well, that was a whole different lineup. Uh, We we ended up getting Greg Christian in the band. Um, We ended up getting Joe Frolob in the band. And then Steve Rebello 
got involved with it on, on guitar. So we, we went back to a two guitar player lineup yeah. and <clears throat> that album, uh, I really liked that album a lot. Um, yeah, that, that one, um, that took about a year to record that record. Uh, we had Juan Ortega at the controls of that. A lot of the tracks got produced and stuff by Joe Frolov. Um, and we did get a lot of uh, traction out of that record. A couple of videos came out, uh, I believe a song Savage and uh, From Here to Hell, a mm-hmm. song written by Steve Bellow. Um, and there's, there's talk that we might do a re-release on vinyl with that record. Um, I got to see what is happening with that. But yeah, that, that record I actually really liked more towards the direction of kind of what I wanted to do with the band. You know, it was kind of hit, you know, hitting on that a little bit, but as, as the new, you know, as the awakening came out, you know, that's the one that was like, you know, we got to do this a hell of a lot heavier. When did work on the awakening? Uh, when did that start? Oh, the, the newest album awakening. We started writing that, um, probably towards the end of 2019, right before the lovely pandemic hit. Okay. You know, we started getting, started throwing ideas around, um, right around the end of 2019. And then we went and played a gig in 2020 down at the house of blues. We opened up for metal allegiance. That was a really cool gig. And that was actually Donnie Hillier's last show, believe it or not. Um, and then during 2020, it was just such a pain in the ass because, the, you know, everything was on lockdown and the pandemic was in full force. There was no vaccines. I mean, it was just a lot of uncertainty. So as a band, we really couldn't even get in the same room and really work on things. Uh, everybody was scared to catch the COVID, you know. So we just ended up passing a lot of files back to each other. So... I'd get these skeleton ideas of songs and then I'd put drums on them and then send them to the next guy until we get maybe three or four of them. And then we would go and, you know, get together and play. And it was quite a long process, to tell you the truth. But it started pretty much towards the end of 2019. Is um, Christensen still in the band? No. So what are you guys doing for a bass player? Um, we've been having uh, Michael Spencer from Flotsam and Jetsam helping us out okay. at the moment. Um, we don't have any kind of definitive plan as of yet of who, you know, who it's going to be. But Greg is no longer in the band. He he wanted to go and pursue some other things. And, uh, yeah, so that's kind of what's happening with that. Unfortunately... Tragedy struck and original vocalist Donnie Hillier passed away in September 2020. Sorry for your loss, man. You know, besides a bandmate is your buddy for 40 plus years. That's yeah. tough. How far in the writing process or pre-production of that album, Awakening, was Donnie around for? And did he, was there talk about you guys continuing? Was that ever discussed? Well, uh, Donnie actually wrote quite a quite a bit of the lyrics on the new album. Um, he's actually on. He actually sung on most of the pre-production tapes 
that uh, on the album, I can't remember the tunes off the top of my head, but he, he was mixed in uh, on some of the backing tracks with Brian Allen. Um, you know, Juan Ortega, the producer, thought that would be a really cool idea to do. So it's got him, it's got his spirit in some of those songs, to say the least. Mm-hmm. Um, we were maybe, there's probably... I'm thinking uh, he probably wrote the lyrics for at least half of that music. Um, so, and then he got really sick and that took a, a back seat. Um, but, uh, you know, I, w- I was literally at the studio getting ready to set my drums off when I got the phone call that he might not make it through the night. And we called the session off and said, oh my, my God, man, you know, what are we going to do? And then a couple of days later, it's when he passed away. And that threw everything kind of, you know, through the wrench in the machine because we we weren't even sure if we were going to even continue on or anything. But uh, I did, uh, you know, I did talk to him when he could still talk. And uh, he wanted the band to, con- you know, continue on. And uh, so anyhow, it was, it, was a rough, it was a rough patch there, man. Any plans for touring? Yeah, we got a couple things we're working on right now. Um, we might have some U.S. tour going on, but I, I can't really say anything about it yet because it's still in the talking stages. But that would be from coast to coast. Um, and then probably first quarter of 2023, uh, looks like we have a, a tour going to pop up for Europe. So, keep you know, I'll keep you posted when all that gets announced that Europe scene, we had a chance to catch up with Dave Overstreet from destructor. I don't know if you remember the Cleveland thrashers destructor back in the day mm-hmm. and they had a nice little run. They have, they just, this summer they had a nice little run over in Mexico, nasty savage Hellstar, and a couple other acts. And you know, that whole Europe scene, there's a, you know, rejuvenation of some of these eighties bands. I know mm-hmm. Sarah, Sarah Thungle has been playing over there with the Jarvis Letherby and Night Demon, those, those cats. So, it, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so there is a market over there. We'd love to get you, you know, over here. Oh, when, yeah. was, when was the last time you guys played out? Are you are you doing off shows or around the, the area oh, yeah. where you are? Well, a few weeks, uh, about a month ago, we went and played the Alcatraz Festival over in Belgium. Oh, Cool. Who was on that? Um, let me. See. Well, God, there's so many freaking bands, man. Oh yeah, yeah, that's true. You uh, see some of those lineups. There's 200 yeah. bands at six stages, and it goes on for a week and a half. Yeah, off the top of my head, man, this, we played on Sunday. I think that the, the on the main stage it was Arch Enemy. Um, you know, they had like uh, Loudness, uh, Death Angel was there, um, Testament. Um, Diamond Head. Um, let me think, man. Vandenberg. Uh, yeah, there's just like so many freaking bands that, 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 you know, over four days, uh, there's probably about 150 to 200 bands at that thing. It's just truly amazing how, you know, something like that goes on over in Belgium and mm-hmm. those festivals. It's just. We're jealous. We are. Well, well, you know. we'll put it this way. Some of the biggest festivals, not just for metal, but uh, 
you know, even that EDM music. I mean, they got a couple festivals that I found out about that host like 500,000 people. I mean, can you believe that? Mm. Imagine going to an event with 500,000 people. I mean, my God. Would you go to something like that with 500,000 people? Hell no. <laughs> Not at all, man. You know, I'm, I'm going the other way. I saw Alice Cooper the other night in a nice oh, cool. 4,000. Yeah, like, like one of these old theaters up here in upstate New York. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, Nugent in one of these places. Went to a casino, saw Ace Freely about a month ago in a um, 500 yeah. cap room. I mean, yeah, I know. I mean, I saw... Uh, uh, I'm trying to think. Was it? It was uh, 2020. No, it had to be 2022. The beginning of this year, I went and saw Judas Priest in Queensrÿche at the Fox Theater in Oakland, and that place holds maybe 3,000 people. Mm-hmm. And it just—I'm watching Priest, and I'm thinking, the last time I saw these guys, I saw them at the freaking Cow Palace in San Francisco. You know, playing in front of 25, 30,000 people, or maybe not that many, maybe like 20,000 people. But it's, it, it's, yeah, it's changed a lot here in the United States. You know, I lived in L.A. for, yeah, after trauma split up in the 80s, I moved, to, I, moved, I moved to Los Angeles and lived there for about almost 10 years. And uh, I went through that whole scene. You know, I got lucky getting signed to, you know, I was in a band that got signed and we got, you know, money and, you know, all that stuff toured the United States a bunch of times. I mean, I, I stayed busy even when trauma uh, went kind of belly up. I mean, I never stopped playing, you know, all those years I, I kept doing stuff. Who was that band? Anyone we know? It was a band. It was a band called St. Elmo's fire. All right. It, it was funny. Cause the band, the band, it was a band that moved from Sacramento down to LA and they got established down there. And then, um, me and a bass player auditioned for the band through their producer, who's a guy named uh, Dito Godwin that went on to produce like, uh, Jesus, Peter Chris and freaking uh, Great White. I mean, Motley Crue, a, a crop load of bands. And I ran into him because um, they started doing some session work down there. And he told me about a band that he was managing. I wasn't too hip on the name at first. I was like, that, that's way before the movie even came out. And, uh, but they had really good songs, you know, and we ended up recording uh, four albums. I did, you know, recorded four, you know, four albums with that band. And then, um, you know, toured out, toured throughout the States a bunch of different times. Um, this was like uh, late 80s, early 90s. And then, <clears throat> and then I actually ended up joining a band in Switzerland of all places um, with a couple of ex-members of, uh, at the time, Crocus. The band Crocus was on a hiatus, and there was a new band that was popping up over there. And I went back and forth to Switzerland, like for about three years. You ever play Rochester? You ever get up to Rochester, New York? It, Trauma was on tour in 2018, and we we didn't play in Rochester. We played in Buffalo, we played in Brooklyn, and then we played in we did a gig in Boston. I remember. You know, but we didn't get to Rochester. You know, we had so many tours with trauma that got booked pre-pandemic. I mean, we we were on a we were booked on a tour with Udo at one time, and then that thing got canceled. Then we then we had one with Anvil, and that got freaking canceled. 
then we had one with um i think it was raven i think um that got freaking bumped then we'd been on it then we'd gotten booked with ross the boss uh three or four different times to go over to europe and every one of those got canceled because of the goddamn pandemic you know so it's <laughs> yeah it's, yeah it's been like a it, honestly it's been like a roller coaster man let's take a peek behind the curtain why would a tour get canceled if it was assembled and ready to go? Well, the one with Udo, the day that the tour was supposed to get announced, I mean, we'd been waiting for probably three or four months for the announcement to come out. Uh, the day of the announcement, he decided to cancel the whole thing because his ticket sales were not that great. Okay. Yeah. So I guess what they what they do is, you know, they go and they put the tickets for sale in certain markets and kind of get a gauge of how this is going to go. And before, you know, 110% committing to it, they go back and look and see how many tickets have been moving or whatever. And I guess if it, if there's just not enough happening, you know, they don't want to go in the freaking total red with it. They'll, they'll just pull the plug on it. And that's that. Put it this way until, until you're either on the freaking tour bus driving, <laughs> driving to the venue or you're in a plane and you've gotten picked up at the airport by the promoters, people or whatever, man, I don't count on crap. Chris, that's funny that that's ironic. You say that um, the anthrax black label and hate tour came through Rochester, all excited where hate gets four songs into their set. The show has to stop because huh. the, st- the stage was breaking tour manager of anthrax you know pulled the plug on the show oh my. i have yeah. a connection with uh frank so uh, i texted him right after the right after the announcement you know because i was at the show he goes listen things are crazy right now um let it settle down i'll reach out to you so a couple days later we we did the interview and mm-hmm. he said that um listen i was backstage doing what we were doing getting warmed up and the tour manager you know called it but the point I was trying to make was um, I asked him the same question. All right, so you guys are going over to Europe and you know this and that. He goes, hey, John, I have my passport. The tour's booked. I'll believe it when it happens. <laughs> well, sure enough, Chris, uh, a uh-huh. week later, we see that the mm-hmm. European dates were canceled, mm-hmm. but the U.K. dates are still intact. Well, see, that's that's what's happening right now because, I mean, everything keeps skyrocketing in terms of costs. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, you can get a price today for, for things, but usually tours are set up anywhere from six months to a, a year to even a year and a half, in a, you know, in advance. But if you, if you set up a tour that far in advance, you don't know what the final cost is going to be a year from now, you know. So... I'm just saying uh, that's that's you know you're dealing with so much uncertainty right now that it's really turned into a uh, a hard thing to say the least. Man, I've never seen it like this. The thing is, is like yeah, I could tell you right now what what our plans are, but do I really know for a hundred percent if that's going to happen? Hell no, I don't. You know. Just like I said, I mean, unless unless you're on, you know, the the, you know, unless you're, I mean, put it this way. I mean, when I was just telling you when I was when I joined a band that was in Switzerland, uh, the only reason why I even went over there, these guys had had 
a 40 day tour that was booked uh, going out with like Ian Gillen and, and some other, you know, some other bands of that time. Mm-hmm. And uh, half I was flying in the air. And when I got to Switzerland, I remember getting picked up at the airport and these guys looked like, you know, someone stole like, you know, their freaking girlfriend or whatever. Um, <laughs> They had this horrible look on their faces, and I go, man, what, what's wrong with you guys, man? I just flew, like, you know, 13, 14 hours to get here. What's up? And they go, oh, we got something we got to tell you. Uh, half the tour dates got canceled because the booking agent, like, uh, something happened. And I was just like, you got to be freaking kidding me, right? So literally, to offset my bills, I ended up giving drum lessons to dudes that didn't even speak English, and a host of other things because I was pretty much stuck there, you know. So, yeah. So, anyways, anything can happen, you know. The new album is Awakening. Chris Gustafson from Trauma. Chris, where can people get in touch with you? All the usuals? Yeah, it's traumametal.com. That's the website. And then all the links to everything else is on the website. So, it's, you know, traumametal.com. Beautiful. Let's let's, uh, let's get out there, buy some physical copies, you know, uh, support the band. If they get on the road, get out and see Trauma. Buy a shirt. Buy your buddy a shirt. Let's get these, <laughs> yeah, let's get these guys a uh, uh, little bit of our heavy metal love. Chris, thanks for, uh, you know, taking a walk down heavy metal memory lane and uh, spending the afternoon with us. Oh, man, it was my pleasure. And I, I hope we uh, I hope we do can get out to Rochester, man. We would love to. Before I go, I just wanted to give you a little heavy metal history lesson that you were mentioning about Metallica. They got signed. They came to New York and Megaforce. Well, they recorded that album about six miles from where I'm sitting right now. Okay. Because they came up to Rochester, New York to do Kill mm-hmm. where oh, we yeah. were We were the pipeline down to New York along with Ithaca, New York with, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the rods are down there. Carl Kennedy. Uh, a lot of a lot of rich metal history up here in in New York. It's not all oh, yeah. Brook, Brooklyn and downstate. So, oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, I think there's more going on on your in your neck of the woods than there here than there is here in California. There's there there's nothing. Uh, yeah. You got the you got the sun right. Isn't that what it is? Sun in the palm trees. Yeah, but well, where I'm at, I'm more like up in the mountains with the pine trees. But there's not much going on here, man. You know. Well, wherever you are, Chris, take care of yourself. Stay safe and healthy. Talk soon. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Metal for Life. Thank you for listening to Metal Mayhem ROC. Check out our website at MetalMayhemROC.com for information on podcasts, archives, links to all our live radio shows, and all sorts of info. Please like, follow, and share with everyone, even your non-metal friends. And always remember to keep it heavy. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.